Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. In this episode, two recovered alcoholics break down one chapter of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous line by line. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. Um, I'm really excited. We were talking earlier about this and it's a section that I usually don't spend much time in at all. So it's really exciting that we got this opportunity to dive a little deeper. Um, so we're going to be covering basically the very beginning of the book. Um, and we'll start where all good stories start, which is the cover page. Um, and I'm actually working from the fourth edition. That's the one I have. And so um, on the very, very cover page, right? Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Um, this was actually a really big kind of knock my socks off moment. I had never heard that phrase recovered before I started to get well. Um, I had always heard, I had so many preconceived notions about what being an alcoholic is. I really believe that you were sick forever, that you were always recovering. And so the first time that this was explained to me that there is life as an alcoholic, that you could be a recovered person, I had never heard that before. And somebody actually shared with me that the word recovered appears, this isn't an anomaly, it doesn't appear just once on the front cover, it actually appears throughout the entire text. Um, Somebody once told me that it was over 70 times it shows up throughout the book. And, I think there's a lot of hope in that, that we can have this disease and not be afflicted by it. Uh, And that's pretty, pretty exciting. So let's keep going. So we're going to turn to the preface, which is on page XI. This is the fourth edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. The first edition appeared in April, 1939. And in the following 16 years, more than 300,000 copies went into circulation. The second edition, published in 1955, reached a total of more than 1,150,500 copies. The third edition, which came off press in 1976, achieved a circulation of approximately 19,550,000 in all formats. I actually was looking up some information about how many books have gone into publication since then, and it's estimated about 30 million is what I read uh, last night. Hopefully that's fairly up to date. Um, and it's also one of the most, it's one of the most published and widespread book of, kind of in history. Um, I'm trying to think, I think it was also time that named it one of the most influential books for America in like ever written. So there's a lot of good lineage here as well. So. Because this book has become the basic text for our society and has helped such large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists strong sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. Therefore, the first portion of this volume describing the AA recovery program has been left largely untouched in the course of revisions made for the second, third, and fourth editions. The section called The Doctor's Opinion has been kept intact just as it was originally written in 1939 by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, our society's great medical benefactor. So I'm just going to stop here because there's something I really love, right? Because this book has become the basic text for our society and has helped such large numbers of alcoholic men and women to recovery, there exists strong sentiment against any radical changes being made in it. So because this book was written in 1939, 81, almost 82 years ago, And we're still using the same basic text, the same textbook, right? The fact is that for now, millions, first thousands and thousands, then hundreds of thousands, then millions and millions of alcoholics, we've all used the same formula kind of captured in these pages. And the fact that it has worked for so many others is also, I find, such a source of hope, right? It worked for them. It can work for me, too. Um, I thought that was just one of those things that's, you know, just so... (laughs) The second printing of the first edition added the appendix spiritual experience. In the second edition, the appendices on AA tradition, the medical view and religious view of AA, the Lasker Award and information on how to contact AA were added, and the appendix on the Alcoholic Foundation was discontinued. But the chief change was in the section of personal stories, which was expanded to reflect the fellowship's growth. 
Bill's story, Dr. Bob's nightmare, and one other personal history from the first edition were retained intact. Three were edited, and one of those was retitled. New versions of two stories were written with new titles. 30 completely new stories were added, uh, and the story section was divided into three parts under the same headings that are used now. In the third edition, part one, Pioneers of AA, was left unchanged. Nine of the stories in part two, they stopped in time, uh, were carried over from the second edition. Eight new stories were added. In part three, they lost nearly all. Eight stories were retained. Five new ones were added. This fourth edition includes the 12 concepts for world service and revises the three sections of personal stories as follows. One new story has been added to part one and two that originally appeared in part three have been repositioned there. Six stories have been deleted. Six of the stories in part two have been carried over. 11 new ones have been added and 11 taken out. Part three now includes 12 new stories. Eight were removed in addition to to the two that were transferred to part one. So one thing um, that was explained to me was that the stories in the back are are pretty much equivalent to like hearing a story speaker. Um, and so it's, it's an opportunity to connect with other alcoholics through the text so that you too can help identify that, Hey, it's a lot like me or I just, you know, or I think it's going to talk about that in just a second. All changes made over the years in the big book, AA members fond nickname for this volume have had the same purpose to represent the current membership of Alcoholics Anonymous more accurately and thereby to reach more alcoholics. If you have a drinking problem, we hope that you may pause in reading some of the 42 personal stories and think, yes, that happened to me, or more important, yes, I felt like that, or most important, yes, I believe this program can work for me too. Um, I love that sentence in particular um, because we identify with other alcoholics, right? We need that kind of connection to see how we can get better because nobody knows how to get better, better than another alcoholic in my experience. And I think that, yes, I believe this program can work for me too. Um, It's kind of a little bit of foreshadowing into our second step, right? That we came to believe that, you know, what worked for someone else could work for me too. That the solution could work for all of us. Um, All right. We're going to go ahead and go to the forward to the first edition which is starts on page XIII. So forward to the first edition, and this is the forward as it appeared in the first printing of the first edition in 1939. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered, there's my favorite word again, from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. For them, we hope these pages will prove so convincing that no further authentication will be necessary. We think this account of our experiences will help everyone to better understand the alcoholic. Many did not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. And besides, we are sure that our way of living has its advantages for all. This is just such a great paragraph. I I just, every time I read it, I, I just get happy. (laughs) So in the book, when they talk about we, they're actually talking about the first 100 uh, men and women of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? The first people who kind of wrote this book um, and gathered together. And I was reading that kind of how it was written was they were sort of mailing it back and forth across the country to actually write the book. So it was a collaborative effort on their experiences to come to this conclusion. Um, And the other thing, right? are more than 100 men and women. So there's there's a sample size of 100 alcoholics who have followed this formula, used this solution and gotten well. The other thing that they start to talk about from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So for the first time ever, alcoholics are, you know, they're kind of starting, they're identifying, well, not first time ever, but they're identifying that they too were in a seemingly hopeless state, right? That they lacked... Um, they had reached such a place in their disease that they had no hope for recovery, right? They didn't know how to do it necessarily until they got the help of another alcoholic. And the other thing for the fur, they're kind of insinuating something that really becomes a big deal, which is a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Already we're starting to get a little bit of a hint that there's something different about an alcoholic from a non-alcoholic. 
right? But there's something different about my mind and there's something different about my body that causes me to be an alcoholic versus a moderate or a heavy drinker. The other part I love, right, is many do not comprehend that the alcoholic is a very sick person. That's me included. I had no idea that I was a very sick person. I had lots of preconceived notions about, um, you know, my morals and philosophy and, you know, I was a bad person or whatnot. But really the the truth, the bottom line is that I'm sick and I have an illness Um, and I had an illness that was untreated right? I was not recovered. I was actively drinking and working very hard to get to a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body so I could get well. Um, So let's keep going. It is important that we remain anonymous because we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals, which may result from this publication. Being mostly business or professional folks, we cannot well carry on our occupations in such an event. We would like it understood that our alcoholic work is an avocation. So here, right, they're also saying that it's important to remain anonymous because there's not um, there's not enough to handle the influx in in. Kelly's going to definitely talk more about history and some of the interesting stories, but it started with such a small group, but then as publicity and people became more aware of Alcoholics Anonymous, there were more people reaching out to get better and wanting the solution. But there was also, I think in this timeframe, um, I'm very grateful that at this stage in my alcoholic life that, um, I can live very openly as an alcoholic, but there were a lot of preconceived notions and judgments, especially I think about female alcoholics. Um, So to live openly as an alcoholic may not have been as free an option. Um, Now I also like this, we like it understood that our alcoholic works in avocation. It's an act of service. It's not their primary job, you know, um, I kind of joke, like I, you know, you still have to, you still got to work, right? Like, so this is in addition to, so I think of sobriety and recovery as my number one job, but I still have to have another one to pay the bills and pay the rent. So we can't, can't eat on God's grace alone. So um, (laughs) uh, when writing or speaking publicly about alcoholism, we urge each of our fellowship to omit his personal name, designating himself instead as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So at the very beginning, I introduced myself as Rose Torgerson, um, and I do so with permission from my sponsor, um, but also because it's important. My primary purpose is to serve and help other alcoholics, right? Um, I wouldn't introduce myself as Rose Torgerson, member of Alcoholics Anonymous somewhere else, or publicly or in media or whatnot, right? But in a small group, I often can disclose that I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in the event that another alcoholic may need support or I can help connect them or that maybe the person I'm talking to knows someone in their life that could benefit from the solution. And I want them to be able to find me, right? That I can help get them here. So it isn't necessarily for when I use my last name, it's not for the purpose of publicity. It's not for the purpose of um, any other reason than to help another alcoholic, right? As long as I'm doing it with that in mind, that providing that. So that's why I will sometimes use my last name. Um, very earnestly, we ask the press also to observe this request, for otherwise we shall be greatly handicapped. We are not in our organization in the conventional oops, sense of the word. There are no fees or dues whatsoever. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. I'm going to just pause on that, right? The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. It doesn't say, oh, the only desire, the only requirement for membership is you have to have stopped drinking, right? I can walk in and just have an honest desire to stop drinking. Even if I've drunk that morning, if I've drunk five minutes before the meeting, but I honestly want to stop. I too can become a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. 
doesn't say you've stopped. <laughs> I just really want to. We are not allied with any particular faith, sect, or denomination, nor do we oppose anyone. We simply wish to be helpful to those who are afflicted. So also, there's nothing about me that will preclude me, that will exclude me from Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That no, none of my background, my faith, my sect, denomination, religious leanings of any kind keeps me from being welcomed into this fellowship, right? I get to come exactly as I am. We shall be interested to hear from those who are getting results from this book, particularly from those who have commenced work with other alcoholics. Um, we should like to be helpful to such cases. Inquiry by scientific, medical, and religious societies will be welcomed. And it's signed Alcoholics Anonymous. All right. And go ahead and keep going to the forward to the second edition. And that's on page XV. Um, so figures in this forward describe the fellowship as it was in 1955. So the forward to the first edition was the one accompanied in 1939. And now we're fast forwarding almost uh, a little shy of 20 years. Um, and just for reference, so that very first edition, we learned had a circulation of 300,000 copies. So by 1955, they were now publishing um, 1,150,000 um, copies. So we've basically almost uh, like four times the amount of books have been published at this point. So, um, all right, forward to the second edition. Since the original forward to this book was written in 1939, a wholesale miracle has taken place. Our earliest printing voiced the hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his de destination already. Uh, continues the early text, twos and threes and fives of us have sprung up in other communities. 16 years have elapsed between our first printing of this book and the presentation in 1955 of our second edition. In that brief space, Alcoholics Anonymous has mushroomed into nearly 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000 recovered alcoholics. Groups are to be found in each of the United States and all of the provinces of Canada. AA has, flourished, uh, has flourishing communities in the British Isles, the Scandinavian countries, South Africa, South America, Mexico, Alaska, Australia, and Hawaii. All told, promising beginnings have been made in some 50 foreign countries and U.S. possessions. Some are just now taking shape in Asia. Many of our friends encourage us by saying that this is but a beginning, only the, I'm not going to say this right, augury of a much larger future ahead. The spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck at Akron, Ohio in June 1935 during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician. Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups that day. He'd also been greatly helped by the late Dr. William D. Silkworth, a New York specialist in alcoholism, who has now accounted no less who's now counted no less than a medical saint by AA members, and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. From this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford groups, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in and dependence upon God. So one little note, right? Even though it uses God here, and again, we're going to talk much more about this in later chapters of the book. Um, a really important, we use God in part because it's much shorter, but it's also a higher power of your own understanding. So one of the other things about AA and the big book is that I get no say, right? None of us get a say in what your higher power is, except that you came to believe that a higher power, a power greater than yourself, could restore you to sanity, that we had dependence on something other than ourselves and our self-will. So even if you see God in this text, 
And if that's not a phrase or a word or um, a concept that works for you in your, in your spirituality, that is a hundred percent. Okay. Right. So in your head, use whatever it is that makes the most sense. So prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic, but he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture, which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry this me- his message to another alcoholic. That alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. So here already, right, like through his personal experience, he's kind of like figuring out the rest of the recipe, right? The broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic, but he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. So when we talk about living in steps 10, 11, and 12, right, and carrying the message and intensive work with another alcoholic, well, it is of incredible importance, of course, the people that are, are pursuing recovery, it's just as important to us too, right? This is how we stay well to help others. That to keep sober myself, that quote unquote relapse prevention, I have to continue to have intensive work with another alcoholic. That's, that's kind of the greatest source that we found to continue to stay well. Um, and I love this, right? He has, he goes out on this business venture that convinced this is going to be the, the fabulous, whatever it is, is going to be, and it falls apart, right? The, the thing that was supposed to solve the problems falls apart. And he finds himself in great fear that he might start drinking again, that this might be the thing that makes me drink. And what I love about this, but he suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. And we're unlocking this amazing key that is to become well, to stay well. There is no thing, no causal action, right? I can lose my job. I can get a job. I can um, get married. I can get divorced. There's no causal event that will result in me drinking provided I take other steps, right? Provided I am doing other things, I am growing along spiritual lines. I am helping other alcoholics. I am um, continuing to strengthen and grow in my relationship to a higher power. And so he's realizing he's got this thing that is hard and we all have these hard things, but he's discovered that as long as he's carrying this message to another alcoholic, we too can stay well. We can, we can navigate those things. Um, So this physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but had failed. But when the broker gave Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never before been able to muster. He sobered, never to drink again, up to the moment of his death in 1950. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another alcoholic as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. Um, And I, I love this kind of testament to how powerful this program is, right? That that the doctor had tried so hard to stay well, to use spirituality or religion or whatever it was to fix himself, but discovered again and again that he couldn't, right? He could not use his own spirituality, his own concept, you know, what he believed at the time to fix himself because the problem we learn is truly us. We need the help of another alcoholic to to guide us in reconnecting to a higher power. Um, And also that it isn't thinking, right? He had thought and couldn't muster but it wasn't like, it's not about thinking. I can't think myself well, because earlier it's starting to hint that there's something going on with my mind as well as my body. And I can't use my mind, which is unwell to get well. (laughs) It just doesn't work. Right. But if I instead go on a course of strenuous work, action, embrace action with another alcoholic, take guidance from another alcoholic, I too have a chance that for permanent recovery. Um, 
So with that, um, I'm going to turn it over to Kelly, who is going to guide us through the rest. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Rose. Uh, hi, my name is Kelly. I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. My sobriety date is March 29th of 2019, and I'm happy to be able to go through um, the rest of this chapter with you guys. Um, like Rose, I really had not delved too much into these chapters. Um, I knew a lot about um, the preface because I, I use that a lot whenever I do foundation meetings and the forward to the first edition, but really have not paid too much attention to the forward to the second edition um, because I don't like uh, numbers. Um, and there's a lot of numbers in here and it's not it wasn't exciting to me until um, I started uh, reading more um, into what the numbers and the names and everything, um, what those actually mean in regards to the formation of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so one thing before I get started that I wanted to note is that um, Bill's last drink was in December of 1934, and Bob's last drink was in June of 1935. And, um, you know, so that's, Bill was six months sober by the time he met Bob, and, and Bob, he was able to um, help Bob to sobriety. Um, and um, so I just wanted to point that out. So it says, uh, hence the two men sent to set to work almost frantically upon alcoholics arriving in the ward of Akron City Hospital. So here's these guys, not very, they, they haven't been sober for very long, but they're setting to work frantically to help other alcoholics. And if this is the basic text um, of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I need to follow it thoroughly in order to remain sober, I need to take... Um, I need to take this as an example and follow what they did. So I need to set to work frantically working with other alcoholics because they realize that that is uh, vital to permanent recovery. So um, their very first case, a desperate one, recovered immediately and became AA number three. He never had another drink. Um, that is, if you have the fourth edition, um, that is the second story in the back of the book. Um, called AA number three. Um, his name is uh, Bill Dotson. Um, this work at Akron continued through the summer of 1935. There were many failures, but there was an occasional heartening success. When the broker returned to New York in the fall of 1935, the first AA group had actually been formed, though no one realized it at the time. Um, what this uh, paragraph means to me is that my recovery does not depend on other people's recovery. Um, there were many, um, there were many failures and, um, through, through my own recovery and working with other alcoholics, there have also been many failures. Um, but, um, there is the occasional heartening success. So I am not, um, uh, my goal as a recovered alcoholic working with other alcoholics is not to save people from alcohol. It is simply to share the message of Alcoholics Anonymous and what it has done for me. Um, what those I share with do with that information is up to them. It's not up to me. Um, a second small group promptly took shape uh, at New York to be followed in 1937 with the start of a third uh, at Cleveland. Besides these, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up the basic ideas in Akron or New York who were trying to form groups in other cities. By late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. It was now time, the struggling groups thought, to place their message and unique experience before the world. This determination bore fruit in the spring of 1939 by the publication of this volume. Their membership had reached about 100 men and women. The fledgling society, which had been nameless, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. The flying blind period ended and AA entered a new phase of its pioneering time. So um, one of the things, a couple of the things that the... Um, 
early AAers decided that they needed to do was one, to get funding for the book, um, which in reading into it, um, they had a very difficult time actually getting funding for the book. Um, we have to remember that um, these guys, uh, you know, there's, they're people from all walks of life. Um, a lot of them are just freshly sober. And so getting funding for a book um, to be able to send out to the millions of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, millions of alcoholics around the world um, proved to be very difficult for them. Um, but also reading through it, just the sheer determination and resourcefulness of the early um, AAers um, was something that struck me. Um, and it just goes to show um, that, uh, you know, th this is something that we need to do um, uh, frantically, basically. <laughs> You know, like I need to get this message out to help, help other alcoholics because my sobriety depends on um, me working this program thoroughly. Um, with the appearance of the new book, a great deal began to happen. Dr. Emerson Fosdick, um, a noted clergyman, reviewed it with approval. In the fall of 1939, Fulton Ausler then editor of Liberty, printed a piece in his magazine called Alcoholics and God. This brought a rush of 800 frantic inquiries into the little New York office, which meanwhile had been established. Each inquiry was painstakingly answered. Pamphlets and books were sent out. Businessmen traveling out of existing groups were referred to these prospective newcomers. New groups started up, and it was found to the, astonish to the astonishment of everyone that AA's message could be transmitted in the mail as well as by word of mouth. By the end of 1939, it was estimated that 800 alcoholics were on their way to recovery. So um, you can actually find these articles online that had been written. Um, there were several pieces. So the, um, the, the person who wrote... Um, this um, Alcoholics and God. Um, oh wait, no. Well, that's later. There, there were several articles that were that were written, um, and the way the reason they were written is because these members of Alcoholics Anonymous um, reached out, either reached out to um, uh, those who would publish the articles, or by word of mouth, those who would publish the articles. Um, decided that they wanted to write a piece on Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and this um, Alcoholics and God is actually a really interesting piece because it's literally just, it's, um, it's basically a foundation meeting, um, like an early foundation meeting. Um, the language in it is really dated and fun to read, but it, it really um, summarizes basically what alcoholism is and what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is. And you can find that online. Um, which is really interesting. Um, let's see. Um, so in the spring of 1940, John D. Rockefeller Jr. gave a dinner for many of his friends to which he invited AA members to tell their stories. News of this got on the world wires. Inquiries poured in again, poured in again and many people went to the bookstores to get the book Alcoholics Anonymous. So the history with... Um, uh, John D. Rockefeller Jr. was really interesting because um, there was um, uh, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous was uh, very frustrated that they weren't able to get um, funding um, for some of the ideas that they had, um, you know, in the early days of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was their idea that they wanted to build a hospital. They wanted to send um paid missionaries across um, the country in order to spread, you know, the good news of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so in order to do that, they needed funding. They didn't have the money to do that. Um, and so they had appealed to um, rich men, basically. They're like, well, the rich guys are going to, the philanthropists are going to give us money. Um, but they were not having any luck. Um, so one uh, member had a very, very distant connection with the Rockefellers. Basically, like, well, my um, my cousin knew somebody back in the day in school, and that person might know Rockefeller. So maybe I'll give him a call and see if he remembers me. Um, and they did. And so they met with um, uh, 
members of the Rockefeller, um, like friends of the Rockefellers. And um, they ba they basically sat around at a table and told their stories. Um, uh, the, a couple of the articles about it, um, there was an interview with Bill Wilson um, about the meeting um, at the Rockefellers. And basically he said it was a very awkward meeting. And um, the only thing that they knew to do was just to tell uh, their stories. So they basically told their stories um, that impressed um, the gentleman that they met with. And um, then they asked for funding. They're like, we need money. Um, and um, what the, the gentlemen that, that were connected with uh, the Rockefellers decided to do was to uh, not give them funding because um, it was uh, apparent to them that providing Alcoholics Anonymous with a large sum of money could potentially jeopardize um, what they thought their, their um, primary purpose was. They thought um, uh, it could uh, put the group into trouble if they had a whole bunch of money. Um, so instead, later, um, they had uh, this dinner. Um, and at the dinner, there's transcripts of the dinner online, um, which are also really interesting to read. The um, uh, Fosdick, Dr. Fosdick spoke there, Bill spoke. Um, and so basically these people just talked about Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and um, there were um, a bunch of uh, notable people there who were able to then go on and um, write articles for um, their newspapers and um, editorials about Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's how the word got out after this dinner. Um, so it, uh, Bill ends up, he, he talks about how um, he was very grateful that um, the Rockefellers decided to not um, provide them with um, a bunch of funding because that then led to the creation of one of the traditions, which is that Alcoholics Anonymous should be um, self-supporting. Um, so um, by, my, uh, by March 1941, the membership had shot up to 2000. Then Jack Alexander wrote a feature article in the Saturday Evening Post and placed such a compelling picture of AA before the general public that alcoholics in need of help really deluged us. By the close of 1941, AA numbered 8,000 members. The mushrooming process was in full swing. AA had become a national institution. So this article, um, all of these are, it's so cool because they're all online and you can just read them. It's really, it's real neat. But um, in, um, so uh, the Jack Alexander, um, he learned about Alcoholics Anonymous from two friends and, or the, the, um, the employer of Jack Alexander. Um, he learned about Alcoholics Anonymous from two friends and he wanted to write, um, have his publication write a piece on it. So he asked Jack Alexander to write a piece on it. So he, um, he and Bill W, Jack Alexander and, and Bill W um, wrote back and forth a few times. And um, after the um, paper published this article, Bill Wilson wrote, um, wrote Jack Alexander a letter thanking him for, for, um, for publishing it. And the letter said, um, I wish I could adequately convey to you the sense of gratitude that one of us feels toward you and the Saturday Evening Post for what is about to take place. You cannot possibly conceive the direct alleviation of so much misery as will be brought to an end through your pen and your good publishers. So, um... After that publication, he actually ended up writing another one, too, um, at the request of Bill Wilson, because since the first one was such a success, he asked him to go ahead and write another one, and he did. And, um, and um, because of that, um, the Saturday Evening Post still receives inquiries about um, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. Oh, one story that I forgot to tell, which is really funny that I read is um, in the early days um, before a couple of these articles were written, um, there was a, um, a radio show uh, called, I have it written down. Um, it was called we, the people. And um, 
they actually had a show feature Alcoholics Anonymous. There was a member named Morgan R., um, who was newly sober, but um, he was able to secure that interview with We the People. So what um, AA decided to do before the interview, since he was newly sober, was they locked him in a hotel room for a couple of days so he wouldn't be able to get drunk before the interview, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, I, I just love us AAers. Um, our society then entered a fearsome and exciting adolescent period. The test that it faced was this. Could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Um, and erstwhile means former. I didn't know that. I had to look it up. Um, would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? Would there be strivings for power and prestige? Would there be schisms which would split AA apart? Soon AA was uh, beset by these very problems on every side and in every group. But out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or die separately. We had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. Um, so the, the groups had been, it, it talks about here in 1955, there were over 150,000 members and um, over 6,000 groups. Um, and because of that, um, you can only assume that um, there would be uh, differences in opinion on how to go about doing this. Um, groups would run each other differently. Um, so they decided that in order to um, effectively carry the message, all the groups needed to be able to do this the same way um, or else they would end up um, fragmenting, which is exactly what happened to another group at the time before AA was formed. They were called the Washingtonians. Um, it was a large group of um, uh, people who had decided they wanted to abstain from alcohol, from alcoholics who didn't want to drink anymore. And at its peak, it was a really big group. At its peak, it was um, it, its membership numbered over 600,000 people. Um, but in a very, very short amount of time, the group ended up fragmenting and just completely disappearing because they were having these problems. Um, prohibition was going on at the time, and, and um, different groups had different ideas about prohibition. Um, they had um, differing views on um, some uh, world events that were going on at the time um, and different ideas on religion. Um, and so and the, the group was also different in that they relied on each other to stay sober. And um, the Wikipedia article that I read said they relied on, a, on an atmosphere of conviviality, um, which I think is, I mean, pretty cool. I like conviviality, but um, that's not going to keep me sober. So, um, but yeah, there was the, the Washingtonian uh, movement um, and um, then the, the Oxford group too, um, which ended up uh, morphing into a different type of group. After a while, it did not have one purpose like AA does, which is, um, you know, to, to alcohol is our, our, our main focus. Um, Washingtonians and Oxford groups ended up having different focuses um, and that caused them to change over time. And for the Washingtonians, it caused them to completely fall off the map. Um, as we discovered the principles by which the individual alcoholic uh, could live, so we had to evolve the principles by which AA, which the AA groups and AA as a whole could survive and function effectively. So this is talking about the traditions, which can be found on page 561, and they're very important um, for um, AA groups um, to follow, um, to avoid um, deviating from our, our primary purpose. Um, it says, um, it was thought that no alcoholic man or woman could be excluded from our society, that our leaders might serve but never govern, that each group was to be autonomous and there was to be no professional class of therapy. There was to be no fees or dues. Our expenses were to be met by our own voluntary con contributions, which is what they came to discover after um, the Rockefellers, um, their dealings with the Rockefellers. There was to be the least possible organization, even in our service centers. 
Our public relations were to be based upon attraction rather than promotion. It was decided that all members ought to be anonymous at the level of press, radio, TV, and films. And in no circumstances should we give endorsements, make alliances, or enter public controversies. This was the substance of AA's 12 traditions, which are stated in full on page 561 of this book. Though none of these principles had the force of rules or laws, they had become so widely accepted by 1950 that they were confirmed by our first international conference held at Cleveland. Today, the remarkable unity, um, today, the remarkable unity of AA is one of the greatest assets that our society has. Um, we find uh, while while the in, while the internal difficulties of our adolescent period were being ironed out, public acceptance of AA grew by leaps and bounds. For this, there were two principal reasons: uh, the large number of recoveries and reunited homes. These made their impressions everywhere. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, fifty uh, percent got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. Other thousands came to a few AA meetings and at first decided they didn't want the program, but great numbers of these, about two out of three, began to return as time passed. So what I see from this paragraph is that there is, a, with the early AA um, in, 19, in the 1950s, there was a 75% success rate. 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% had some relapses, but ended up um, becoming sober. Um, there are a bunch of different studies on AA and its effectiveness online. Um, there's a bunch of different um, like percentages of like the failure rate or the success rate. Um, it was really difficult for me to find one that's had a big enough um, pool to really gauge uh, the um, how accurate the poll was. Um, but the difference between AA back then and the difference between AA now is um, simply the way people practice the principles. Um, in the in the days of the early AA, it was this is the this is the book. This is your instructions. Do everything out of your your recovery program is based out of this book and this book only. Um, nowadays, you'll find a bunch of different groups that have discussion meetings. They don't open the book at all, um, and um, that's what, um, in my opinion, contributes to a lot of the failures. If you don't open this book, if you don't read this book and say that you are um, practicing the um, program of Alcoholics Anonymous, you are not practicing the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You need to go out of this book. Um, otherwise, you can't say that you're practicing these principles. Um, because as Rose said earlier, this is the basic text of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I can't... Um, I can't expect to uh, know everything there is about a subject without opening my textbook. Um, I need to read through my textbook. Um, let's see. Another reason for the wide acceptance of AA was the ministration of friends, friends in medicine, medicine, religion, and the press, together with innumerable others who became able, who became our able and persistent advocates. Without such support, AA could have made only the slowest progress. Some of the recommendations of AA's early medical and religious friends will be found further on in this book. Like we'll see um, Dr. Silkworth in the doctor's opinion, who um, at first did not uh, attach his name to the, to the uh, chapter, but later on after he realized how successful AA was, um, ended up uh, adding his name in there. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous is not a religious organization. Neither does AA take any particular medical point of view, though we cooperate widely with the men of medicine as well as with the men of religion. Um, which was uh, quite a relief for me. Um, and as the book goes into it a little bit further, um, the, it does not require you to subscribe to any particular religion. Um, 
the, the main, you know, one of the main things is I need to find a God that, um, you know, it's my interpretation of God. Um, there's, I don't have to subscribe to anybody else's, um, thought on the matter. So, um, alcohol being no respecter of persons, we are an accurate cross section of America and in distant lands, the same democratic evening up process is now going on by personal religious affiliation. We include Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Hindus, and a sprinkling of Muslims and Buddhists. Um, I love the sprinkling. Um, more than 15% of us are women. So nowadays, um, it's, uh, 35 to 38% of us are women. Um, so, um, and I did just want to point out that, um, there are 5.2 million alcoholic women in, uh, adult women in the United States. Um, they suspect, um, so that's 4% of alcoholic. 4% of adult women in the United States, um, are alcoholic, um, and, uh, 8.9 million, uh, men are alcoholics. At present, our membership is pyramiding at the rate of about 20% a year. So far upon the total pro- problem of several million actual and potential alcoholics in the world, we, uh, have made only a scratch. In all probability, we shall never be able to touch more than a fair fraction of the alcoholic problem in all its ramifications. Upon therapy for the alcoholic himself, we surely have no monopoly. Yet it is our great hope that all those who have as yet found no answer may begin to find one in the pages of this book and will presently join us on the high road to a new freedom. So for me... Um, and, uh, many alcoholics, um, the, the methods I had tried to become sober did not work. Um, and, um, I had, I had experience with that. I knew that going into this. And so that's why, um, I decided to, I decided to do this because, um, I, I had tried so many things and I knew that, um, I knew in my heart that nothing would work. And so this is a, this is a program for people who know that nothing, nothing will work for them. Um, it's, it's a last resort, which is why I love that they say we have no monopoly over it. They have no monopoly over, um, over, uh, how to get sober. There are many different ways to get sober. This is just a way to get sober. If you're a hopeless alcoholic like myself, um, and, um, I, at that, I'm going to um, hand it back over to our chair um, to Rose. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. This recording is not associated with any AA group or AA World Services. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. <laughs>